Uh, kids, where are you guys at this morning? Raise up your hands. All right. My first question for you is how many of you have been like dirty before? Okay, put your hands down. Like really dirty. Okay, what about like, what about filthy? Okay. In our passage today, there's this guy named Joshua, who's the high priest. And Zechariah sees this vision of Joshua, like standing before God. And Zechariah says that Joshua is filthy. But he doesn't use just any word for filthy. He uses a specific word for filthy that means he's covered in human excrement. Who knows what excrement means? What do you got, Ben? Corpse? No, that's close. Marshall? Poop. How many of you have been that filthy? Probably not, right? That's, that would be super gross, right? If, if all of your clothes were covered with that, it would be disgusting, right? right? Nobody wants to do that. And what, what, the, what is happening is it's, it's a picture of Joshua's sinfulness, his, his wickedness. He's, he's covered in gross things. But then God says to, to take those filthy clothes off of him, and instead he gives him pure clothes. And like, this is a, a great picture of what Jesus does for us in the gospel. When we put our faith in him, God takes our filthiness away from us and puts it on Jesus. And Jesus pays the penalty to the full extent for us. And then we get his purity. We get his cleanliness. We get his righteousness because of what he's done for us on the cross. And so kids, go home and ask your parents more about what they learned about the goodness of the gospel, what Jesus has done for us on the cross, that, that we can have our uncleanness taken away and instead get Jesus' righteousness instead. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll get into Zechariah together this morning. Father, we thank you for this, this picture that, that you allowed Zechariah to see of how you, you take away Joshua's filth and instead give him your cleanness, your purity, your righteousness, that you do for him what, what he can't do for himself. And we thank you that you do that for us in Jesus. And so we pray this morning that as we, as we look at Zechariah together, that these, these series of visions that he has, that you would help us just to, to grow in our appreciation for who you are and what you've done for us. As we see you uh, comforting your people in Zechariah's day, that we too would be comforted by the good news of your word together this morning. Jesus, we thank you uh, for, <clears throat> for who you are and what you've done for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So today we're in Zechariah. That is the second to last minor prophet. That means we are almost home. But uh, Zechariah kind of sneaks up on you because it's got 14 chapters right, right here at the end. And so uh, we're, we're, we're on the home stretch, and it'll be about four more weeks after today, and then we'll be uh, moving on from the minor prophets. So today we're in Zechariah 1 through 6. And so this is, this is a big chunk of Scripture, but the reason why we're doing all these together is because in the passage what we get is this, 
this kind of brief introduction, and then Zechariah has this series of, of eight visions, and they kind of all fit together to, to communicate the same thing to his people. And so since it's such a big passage, the way we're going to go through it today is instead of kind of reading it all at the beginning, I'm going to read through it kind of little by little, and we'll go through it uh, that way. And so before I read it, a couple more things at the beginning is just that Zechariah is, is speaking uh, pretty much at the same exact time as Haggai. He actually starts like two months after him. So, so it's 520 BC. The people have been back in the land for, for about 20 years. They, they're, they're in Jerusalem. They're, they're rebuilding things. They're rebuilding the walls, the temple, the city. Uh, and in Haggai, last time we saw that, that God kind of came to the people and confronted them. They had been back in the land for, for 18 years, but what they were doing is they were like building up their own houses. He said that they lived in houses that were, that were paneled. You know, they were like fixing up their places really nice, but they hadn't done anything to rebuild the temple. And so God, through Haggai, confronts them and calls them to, to the work of rebuilding the temple. And, and they, they respond favorably, they repent, and they kind of commit to the work with renewed devotion and commitment. And so Zechariah is going to make some, some similar calls to that, but he goes beyond what Haggai does. And in, in Zechariah, what we see God doing is he's addressing some of the kind of discouragement and, and fear and sorrow that the people had been experiencing since they, since they had been back in the land. They were kind of wondering where they stood with God after the exile, after the judgment has fallen. And so he kind of through Zechariah, comforts them and encourages them and builds them up. And he does that in, in today's passage by giving them kind of this peek behind the scenes through these visions about what he's doing for his people kind of on the world cosmic stage. And so that's what these, these visions are about. So we get the intro in the first six verses. It says, In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Ido, saying... The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, thus declares the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers to whom the prophets cried out, thus says the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so he has dealt with us. So first, in this introduction, we find out that this is happening in the, the eighth month of the second year of Darius's reign. So this is, this is October of 520 BC. Like we can, we can date this Specifically, this is two months after Haggai was prophesying to the people. The Lord comes to Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Ido, and gives him this prophecy. Now, it might not seem like it, but this is actually, outside of Zephaniah, this is the most biographical information we have about a minor prophet. He says he's, you know, the son of this guy, the grandson of this guy. The reason why we get a little more on Zechariah is because Zechariah was an incredibly common name in the Old Testament. There's like 24 of them. And so he's saying, like, I'm this Zechariah. So he, he starts his prophesy, prophecy by, by explaining what the people have just been through. He says that, that God was very angry with, with their fathers. And the reason why this matters is because it's been about 87 years since the, the first kind of beginning stages of the Babylonian captivity and exile. 
And what that means is that a lot of the people that experienced it, that, that, that went through it, weren't alive anymore. And so the people in Zechariah's day didn't kind of know everything that had happened. And so Zechariah is explaining, hey, God poured out judgment on your ancestors. And there's a call for them themselves to return to the Lord. And he says, God called your fathers to return to the Lord, but they didn't. And they're dead now, right? They're, they're not around anymore, but God's word still is. And so he's calling them to return. He's calling them not to be like their fathers. And we find out that they, they repented. They returned to the Lord. And then he gives them these eight visions starting in verse seven. So the first vision comes in verse seven. It says, on the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat and the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Ido, saying, I saw in the night and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen and behind him were red, sorrel and white horses. Then I said, what are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, against which you have been angry these seventy years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion, and I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. So in this first vision, Zechariah sees these, these horsemen, and there are other horsemen with them, and the Lord has, has sent them out to patrol the earth. And the report that they come back with is that, that the whole earth is at rest. But the angel cries out to the Lord and says, like, how long will you continue to have no mercy on Jerusalem and Judea? And uh, the Lord responds by saying that he's exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. And he's, he's angry at these nations that are at ease. And he explains why he's angry in verse 15. He says that he was angry but a little but they furthered the disaster. So God used nations like, like Assyria and Babylon to pour out judgment on his people. But, but these nations, these people in their own sin and their own wickedness made it worse than it needed to be. And so God is going to hold them accountable for that. He says that he's returned to Jerusalem with, with mercy, that the temple is going to be rebuilt. The, the measuring line is going to be stretched out across the city to, to rebuild. And he promises that his cities will again overflow with prosperity, that, that he himself will, will comfort them and he will again choose Jerusalem. The point here that he's trying to communicate to his people is that he has been closely watching over what's taken place. 
right? He's, he's out there patrolling the earth, looking at what's happening. He's, he's seen what's taking place. As he poured out judgment on his people, he saw what Assyria did. He saw what Babylon did. He's holding them accountable. It might seem to his people like he's distant, like he's far off, like he doesn't care, but he's communicating to his people that he is taking action on their behalf. He, he cares for them. He's choosing them again. He's coming to their aid. The second vision starts in verse 18. He says, And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? And he said to me, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, What are these coming to do? He said, These are the horns that scattered Judah, so that no one raised his head. And these have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. So this time he sees four horns and, and he says that these are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. So a horn is, is a symbol of military strength. And there are, there are four of them. It's probably uh, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. These, these kind of world powers that threatened uh, Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. But he also sees four craftsmen and says that these have come to, to terrify and cast down the, the horns because of what they did to Judah. So again, God is, is comforting his people by saying, I see these powers that threaten you and I'm dealing with them. The third vision comes in chapter two. He says, and I lifted my eyes and saw and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward and another angel came forward to meet him and said to him, run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plunder you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many no nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling." So he sees in this vision a man who's, who's got a measuring line. He's got it stretched out over Jerusalem. So the kind of rebuilding process is, is starting. And there's a promise here that it's going to be inhabited as a city, as, as, as villages without walls, because there'll be a multitude of, of people and livestock in it. So the city is going to flourish again. It's going to be so huge and, and so quickly growing that it won't have walls, but the Lord himself will be a wall around them, and in his glory will be in their midst. He's promising to, to return to the land. And then he calls those that are still in exile to, to come home, to, to get up, to come back, to return to the land. He calls them to rejoice because he's coming to dwell in their midst. Judah is going to be his portion, and he's going to again choose Jerusalem. 
And it ends with this kind of reverent call to silence before the Lord because he's roused himself from his holy dwelling. Like he is on the move for his people. We get the next vision in chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. So here he sees Joshua, the high priest, and he's kind of in in the presence of God. And there's an angel, there's Satan there to accuse him, but the Lord rebukes Satan. He describes Joshua as this this brand that's been plucked from the fire. Like he he miraculously survived the exile in Babylon. He he was saved by the Lord from a terrible situation. He's he's wearing filthy garments. And, and this word doesn't just mean, doesn't mean a little dirty, right? It means he's, he's covered in human excrement. He's, he's obscenely filthy. According to the law also, like as a high priest, like he's unclean, right? He's in a place where he, he can't fulfill this position that God has called him to. And so his filth is removed from him. He's given pure vestments instead. His, his sin is taken away and he's, he's made clean, And this, obviously, it's a beautiful picture of what happens to us when we put our faith in Jesus, right? When we trust in him, he takes our uncleanness, he takes our filth, he puts it on Jesus, and Jesus puts it to death. And then he gives us his righteousness instead. There's also this promise for Joshua, right? It says that if he walks in the Lord's ways, if he does what the Lord wants him to do, then then he'll continue to be the high priest. He'll, He'll have access to the presence of God. He says that Joshua and his friends are are a sign, right? Their their very existence after the exile is proof that God still cares about his people, that he's still keeping his promise, right? That that there's a way for his promised redeemer to come through them. He says that the the, the promise gets better. He says that God is sending his servant, this branch. Throughout the Old Testament, this is a reference to the coming Messiah, this this promised Davidic king that's going to bring God's kingdom in its fullness on the earth says that he's going to remove the iniquity of the land in a single day. And in that day, the people will be in peace so that they'll invite their neighbors to come over and sit under their trees and vines. There's going to be comfort and peace and and no sin any longer. Chapter four brings vision number five. He says, and the angel who talked with me came and woke me like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see and behold, 
a lampstand, all of gold, with a bowl on top of it, and seven lamps on it, with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right of the bowl and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven are the eyes of the Lord, which range through the whole earth. Then I said to him, What are these two olive trees on the right and the left of the lampstand? And a second time I answered him and said to him, What are these two branches of the olive trees which are beside the two golden pipes from which the golden oil is poured out? He said to me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No, my Lord. Then he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. So first, right, I think we should be pretty thankful for Zechariah that every time he sees something, he's like, What's that? And what's that? And what's that? Because otherwise, we would just have this vision and we'd be like, We don't really know what this means. But he asks the questions and the angel explains it. So he sees this, this gold lamp with a bowl uh, and, and seven lamps that each have seven lips. And then there's kind of an olive tree on, on both sides. And Zechariah says, what are they? And the angel says that they are what the Lord said to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So both Zerubbabel and Joshua together had been given the task of leading the people to, to rebuild the temple. And the Lord explains here that that's going to be accomplished not by, not by power, not by might, not by their ability, not by their determination, not by anything other than the Spirit of God. The Spirit is empowering them to complete this work. That, that faith in Him is going to result in them even being able to move like mountains out of the way. Right? His power through them is going to be so effective right, that people are going to call for them to give grace to the obstacles in their way. And proof of God's word to Zechariah is that Zerubbabel is going to finish the temple. That's evidence that what he's saying is true. I'll give verse 10. He says, uh, For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. So there were people in, in Zechariah's day who, who weren't satisfied with with what they felt like were small things being accomplished for God, right? I think that, that it would be easy, right, for someone in this situation to look back on, like, the days of Solomon and the days of David and think, like, why can't it be like that? Like, why can't the good old days come back? Why can't the, the golden age of Israel happen? Like, why can't we do more? We need something bigger, something flashier, something better to do for God, but the Lord says that once they see what they've accomplished under Zerubbabel's leadership, that they're going to rejoice. They're going to praise God for what's taken place, for what they've done. And, and I think that's really helpful. Like recently, a, a pastor friend of mine posted this thing on Facebook where he was talking about ministry. And he used the analogy of like day trading versus having a retirement account. And so like a day trader, like they're out for like big gains all the time, right? They're, they're like 
moving and shaking, trying, trying to like make a quick buck as soon as possible, as fast as possible. And so they're taking huge risks and hopefully reaping huge rewards. Whereas like if you have a retirement account, the goal is just to like stick the money in there and then not pay attention to it. And, and slowly over time, like it's going to go up, it's going to go down. It's going to go up, it's going to go down. But, but the trajectory of it is growth. And ministry is a lot like a retirement account. Right? We want the, the work. We want the mission that we do to look more like day trading, right? Where we're like doing these huge things and amazing things are happening. And sometimes it's like that. But more often than not, growth is slow and ministry is hard. And, and the market doesn't always work the way we want it to. Don't, don't despise the small things because God's in them too. And that's what the people find out in, in Zerubbabel's day is they do small thing after small thing after small thing. And then the entire city is rebuilt when they're done. Next, the angel explains that the seven lamps are the eyes of the Lord. They're, they're watching over the whole earth. Again, he's reassuring his people that he's paying attention to them. He's, he's not distant. He's not far off. He hasn't turned their back on them. He is focused on what's taken place. Zechariah asks about the olive tree. And the angel explains <clears throat> that they're the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord. This is probably a reference to Joshua and Zerubbabel, these two anointed and appointed leaders to, to lead Israel in this day. The sixth vision comes at the beginning of chapter five. He says, again, I lifted my eyes and saw and behold a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its width 10 cubits. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side, and everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name, and it shall remain in his house and consume it, both timber and stones. So here he sees a flying scroll that, that's 30 feet long and 15 feet wide. And it says on the one side, uh, it's, a, it's a judgment against Thieves. And on the other side, it's a judgment against those who swear falsely, who, who, who break their oath. And it's going to go out over the land and it's going to deal with these people. These are kind of two specific ways they could break their covenant with God. And God is saying, I'm going to hold people accountable to what they've said. The next vision comes in the second half of chapter five. This is the seventh one. And, and honestly, it's my favorite. And you'll hopefully find out why. It says, then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, lift up your eyes and see what this is that is going out. And I said, what is it? He said, this is the basket that's going out. And he said, this is their iniquity and all the land. And behold, the leaden cover was lifted and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings. They had wings like the wing of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. Then I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they taking the basket? He said to me, to the land of Shinar, to build a house for it. When this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. This is, this is pretty funny. There's this basket, and he takes the cover off the basket, and there's a person inside, a woman. And he says, this is wickedness. And then he shoves her back in the basket and puts the weighted cover on the basket. And then these other two women show up 
They have wings, and they fly the basket off to Shinar, which is the land of Babylon, and they build a house for it, and it stays there. Like this, this, is, this is crazy. Uh, but I think what, what this strange vision is, is it's a further promise of God to his people that he's going to deal with their sin. Right? I don't think we should like try to build some whole theology around this. It's like women are obviously more sinful, and that's why they're used in this, because they're also the ones that deal with the problem, right? Uh, and so what it is is just God saying, like, I'm going to deal with sin in the land. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it away. It's not going to be present in the land anymore. It's going to be somewhere else, and it's not going to be allowed to escape back into the land. Right? Like both the basket is, is sealed with a weighted cover, and then they're going to build a house for it where it's going to be locked inside. Right, this, It's not coming back to the land. The last vision comes at the beginning of chapter 6. He says, Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, the third had white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them strong. Then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with the black horses goes toward the north country. The white ones go after them, and the dappled ones go toward the south country. When the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, Go patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he cried to me, Behold, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. So Zechariah, here he sees these, these four chariots. They're all pulled by strong horses. They come out from between bronze mountains. And there's red horses and black horses and white horses and, and dappled horses. And the angel says they're, they're going out to the four winds of heaven to, to patrol the earth. And they're, they're impatient, right? They, they want to go out and patrol the earth. They want to go out and, and protect God's people and see to, that his work is being done. And so he, he sends them out. He says that the white and black ones, they go to the north. And the dappled ones go toward the south. They're going to they're patrol the earth. And like we, hopefully you notice, right, there's the red ones don't go anywhere. And the east and the west are, are left out. And so... Probably the red ones don't go anywhere because they stay at home, right? They're, they're protecting God's people in the land. But the reason why there's only the north and the south is because for Israel, that's where their enemies came from. There, there was Egypt down in the south, and then on the north, there was, there was Babylon and Assyria. Uh, the west was, was water, and east was desert. And so uh, they're, they're going out to protect and patrol, and uh, God is, is saying that the ones that went to the north have set his spirit at rest. What this is, is a promise to the people that he's going to deal with the current threat they're facing from the north. Right? God has already dealt with Assyria, and he's going to deal with Babylon, like we've seen the minor prophets make clear. Chapter 6 finishes with God giving Zechariah a task. He says this in, in verse 9. He says, And the word of the Lord came to me, Take from the exiles, Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon, and go the same day to the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take from them silver and gold, and make a crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. And there shall be a priest on his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. 
And the crown shall be in the temple of the Lord as a reminder to to Helam, Tobijah, Jediah, and him, the son of Zephaniah. And those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And this shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. So God here tells Zechariah to, to take silver and gold from, from these four guys. Some of them are exiles that have just come back, back from Babylon. Presumably, they kind of like plundered Babylon on the way out, and that's why they have silver and gold for Zechariah to take. And he's supposed to take this gold and silver and make a crown. He's supposed to give this crown to Joshua, the high priest. And he says to him, like, behold, the man who is the branch, who will build the temple, who will bear royal honor, who will sit and rule on the throne, and uh, who there'll be going to be a priest too, and the council of peace is going to be between them both. He's saying that Joshua, as the high priest, alongside Zerubbabel, who's kind of this Davidic descendant who's leading God's people, that they are representatives of the Messiah that's coming. He's going to come. He's going to reign on his throne. He's going to reestablish the temple, the presence of God with his people. And he's going to be a priest in addition to being a king. And they are both kind of present and and future realities in this promise. So like presently, the temple is going to be rebuilt in the short term through, through through Zerubbabel and through Joshua's leadership. Uh, They're going to be in power together, a priest and a king. They're going to have peace between them. But the branch is going to come, and he's going to bring God's presence in ways that the temple can't. So Rehoboam and Joshua are going to lead the people as priest and as king, but but the branch is going to come, and he's going to be both of those offices in one person. So what we see in these these first six chapters is Zechariah giving the people a, a glimpse of what God is doing in the world. He's he's telling them that God isn't far off. He's not distant. He's not indifferent or ambivalent to what they've been facing. Like he he cares for them. Like he he is their God and they are his people, right? Multiple times throughout this passage, he's told them like, I'm choosing you again. Like again and again, he's reiterating his commitment to them, right? And, And he tells them like all the things he's been doing, right? He's been working to protect them from their enemies. He's working to judge the nations that have harmed them. He's working to bring all the exiles home. He's working to, to bless the people again and rebuild the city and cause them to flourish. He's, he's working to bring them back in relationship with them. He's working to remove the iniquity from their land and from them. He's working to, to redeem them and take away their sin and give them righteousness instead. He's working to send this, this promised redeemer that they've been waiting for. Like he is doing so much on behalf of the people. And yet part of his work is also sending these visions to Zechariah so that he can reassure the people so that he can comfort the people, so that he can give them the the grace of knowing that that God is still with them, that they are still his people. They felt like God had left them, like he didn't care, like he was no longer in control, or like he was never, or or not on their side anymore. But in these first six chapters of Zechariah, what he's doing is he's he's graciously reassuring the people. He's graciously comforting the people that that despite what they've done in the past, despite what their fathers have done in the past, they're still his people, and he chooses them all over again. Even though they're clothed in filth, he's going to make them clean. And he's going to send the Redeemer that's going to deal with sin and bring peace once and for all. All they need to do is return to him. He's going to bind up their wounds and care for them. This is what we see in this chapter. This is what we see at the beginning of Zechariah. He's reassuring the people 
that, that God still cares for them, that he still loves them, and that he's still sending this redeemer that they've been waiting for. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you, you're not silent. But that you speak warnings and, and comforts. That you give vision and prophecy. And that in Zechariah, that you, you came to a people that, that were hopeless, were worried, were stressed that had misplaced priorities. And you comforted them. You brought them back. You, you told them what you wanted of them and, and reassured them that you loved them. So we pray that you would, you would send your spirit to do that for us. Right? Whatever, whatever we've brought in here this morning, whatever we're wrestling or struggling with, that you would comfort us with the good news that, that you are a God who cares, who hears, who, who listens, who's, who's always watching over everything. That you have opened up access to you through Jesus. And that our cleanness isn't based on who we are and what we've done, but it's based on your son. And so we pray this morning that you would comfort us with the comfort that can only come from the cross. And that your spirit would do for us what we can't do for ourselves. And that we would respond with, with new trust and increased faith in you and affections for you. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.